Let's pray. Dear Lord God, open our hearts to hear what your holy written word says to us today. May we be in awe of your presence and transformed in your grace. Amen. Well, here's a question for you. Do you prefer God in the Old Testament or God in the New Testament? You know, the Old Testament, talking about God active in the world, in history, before the time Jesus walked the earth, and the New Testament, the time of Jesus, and after. But would you rather hear about God's law and commandments, the the statutes and ordinances and wrath, consuming fire, jealous God, smiting of foes, and all that stuff in the Old Testament? Or do you prefer to read in the New Testament about Jesus saving a woman who was caught in the act of adultery from being stoned to death? Or maybe when Jesus was on the cross and there was another person on a cross by him, the thief, and Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise, despite the fact that he was a thief. Or maybe the part about Peter, after the resurrection, Peter um, you know, Peter had, had uh, said, said, no, uh, I don't know Jesus. Je- he had just uh, said, I don't know anything about Jesus. I'm not connected with Jesus. But then after the resurrection, Jesus said, on you, I will build my church. And he, and he said, I want you to be the one to feed my sheep. Well, do you, do you tend to gravitate towards God's law or more towards God's grace? And how about, how about you personally? Do you tend to be more about law or more about grace? When I ask myself that, I'm, I'm just kind of disturbed about the answer because I tend to be kind of heavy on the law side. I, I tend to, to gravitate towards following the rules, and maybe that makes it a little bit harder for me to extend grace when I certainly should. Well, law or grace, when it comes to God, is that a false dichotomy, or might that be two sides of the same coin? Are law and grace opposites, or are they part of who God is? Well, we're going to look at the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy with that question in mind. We want to do this because enriching our understanding about law and grace can help us understand a whole lot more about the nature of God and the way that God wants to interact with His people. It can help us to understand what to make of God's Old Testament laws in today's world and maybe enrich our understanding of Jesus as fulfillment of the law and Savior in grace. There's a both and here, not two gods, one God. In the sermon series that we just finished, we just spent several weeks talking about grace. Well, we defined grace. We said it's receiving what we do not deserve and not receiving what we do deserve. It's God's unmerited love, God's gift of favor that that we don't deserve, that there's nothing we can do to deserve. And as we talk about law, what we're talking about is the Ten Commandments 
and the law that, gave, that God gave through Moses, uh, not the ritual laws, but the moral laws that, that would help the people of God to live in a, an appropriate and a correct relationship with God and with each other. Well, the law reminds us of the holiness of God and the reverence, the reverence that is owed to God. Our scripture today from the Old Testament is from the book of Deuteronomy, and the setting is that it is 40 years after the time that the Hebrew people were led out of their slavery in Egypt, and they had come to the promised land, but they had failed to go in. It's 40 years later. What was going on there? You realize that's, that's as long as Pastor Matt has even been alive. 40 years wandering in the desert. That's what was going on. God had them wandering in the desert that they might learn to trust in God because they had doubted God. They had doubted that God had the power to uh, deliver them into this promised land. They had doubted even God's good intentions for them. They doubted that God could provide even bread for each day and water. So they wandered in the desert that they might learn to trust God. I think that's really tough love. Well, now, 40 years later, it's time to try again. It's time to go into the promised land, and Moses doesn't want the very same thing to happen again. So he repeats the commandments that they had received so many years ago, and he delivers speech after speech to them about the blessings and the curses that would result from the way that they would respond to God. Would they choose to trust in God or would they distrust and not obey Him? He's trying to get across to them just how amazing it was that God delivered them out of Egypt the way that He did it and how amazing it is that God wanted to be in relationship with them. And as God's chosen people, they had to choose God back. God gave them freedom to accept that or to reject it. God gives freedom. And despite that, we have to realize that God is not to be trifled with. And Moses uses what sounds to us as some pretty strong language, some pretty off-putting language, really, if we're just used to talking about God's grace. As we study the Old and the New Testament, it's important to remember that God does not change, okay? The God of the Old Testament is the same God that's in the New Testament. There is grace in the Old Testament, and there is law in the New Testament. We have to look at the Old and the New Testament as one thing to get a deeper understanding of the nature of God and the way that God wants to be in relationship with us because that tells a story. That whole Bible tells one story of God's redemption, of His most prized creation. That's you and I. It isn't a matter of a angry God in the Old Testament and a warm and fuzzy God in the New Testament. 
Remember, remember the stories of Jesus? He went into the temple and there were the money changers cheating people uh, for their, their sacrifices that they wanted to make to God. Jesus got so mad, he, he physically overturned the tables of the money changers. They went flying, pounding down on the floor, money flying in all directions, people screaming, what's going on? Jesus was absolutely furious. And do you, do you remember, too, how Jesus, oh, he got so mad at the Pharisees. The Pharisees, he would use language like, you, you brood of vipers, you snakes, you hypocrites, you whitewashed tombs. See, it's not all warm and fuzzy in the New Testament. And look at the grace in the Old Testament. Just in this passage today, um, we see grace. And I want to invite you to, to open up your Bible that you can follow along. Uh, open up your phone. We're going to look at some different uh, passages, some that were not on the screen earlier, some that won't be on the screen. But we want to jump around and look in this chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. It's actually a pretty big one, so it's not as hard to find. Um, it's the fifth book in the Old Testament, chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 37, and let me read this. Listen for the grace. Okay, there's a lot of grace in this verse. Because he loved your ancestors and chose their, an their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength. See, God made the first move and chose a relationship chose to make a covenant with the people that they would be his people and he would be their God. They didn't deserve it. They didn't do anything to earn that. It's just such a beautiful thing, an amazing thing that God wanted to be in relationship with them. That's like the prettiest girl in Jersey Shore agreeing to go out on a blind date with an ordinary guy and then end up marrying him, wanting to be in relationship with him, marrying him. That happened to me, okay? It, somebody wanting to be in relationship with another person. That is so amazing, such a big deal. By grace, God chose these people to be his relationship people. Verse 7, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray? So close, so close that God can hear when we pray. That is so tender. That is so full of grace. You want to just say, ah, but we keep reading. Verse 24 Okay, and remember that Moses is reminding the people of God's grace and choosing them, and he's warning them about um, pushing him aside and making idols, worshiping images. And he says, take this seriously. How seriously? This seriously. Verse 24, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. That means exactly what it, what it says to us, translated of the Hebrew, it means consuming fire. We're not talking about a little campfire here. Campfires can be nice and warm and fuzzy and nice to be around on a chilly night, 
Some of the best, best times I remember of life when our kids were small is when we'd go camping and we would sit around the campfire, that nice warm glow as we were enjoying our time together and I would tell ghost stories and I would tell silly stories. I'll have to tell you stories about our cat sometimes, Sweetie Pie the cat and all the adventures this, this cat got into. We just had the great, greatest time being together, being in relationship around the campfire. But you know what? We had to be careful with a campfire. If we didn't keep the fire in the, the little pit there that's, that's provided for you, why that fire could spread through the leaves and burn down the entire, entire woods, or if we weren't careful about what we put in the fire, uh, or we got the tent too close to the fire, you know, an ember goes up and floats over and lands on your tent, and the tent is consumed in a minute. So Moses is using an image of fire to describe God. God as both warm and fuzzy and to be respected for his power. And look, look at the, the context of this description. It's what he's talking about. When is God like a consuming fire, a jealous God? It's when we bow down to other things, when we make something else Lord of our lives. God is a jealous God. This is not the first time the Hebrews would have connected the image of fire with God. Well, they knew the story about how Moses was first called by God to lead them out of slavery in Egypt. Do you remember from what uh, God talked to Moses? It was a burning bush. There was fire there. In the Bible, we find fire is a symbol of the presence of God. And what did Moses do? God spoke to him from the fire. He said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. Moses was in the presence of God. And he was in awe of that presence. And how did God lead the people out of their slavery? By day, he led them by a pillar of cloud that they could see. And at night, there was a pillar of fire. Yeah, a pillar of fire at night so that they could see and they could move when the pillar moved. And they knew that God was with them, that God had the power to, to lead them. And Mount Horeb, when they first got the Ten Commandments, look at verse 11. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens. If you can imagine what that would have been like. Fire can be scary and all-consuming, like the California wildfires, but it can also be used to keep us warm so that we can cook our food to eat safely. Fire can be life-sustaining and it can also have dire consequences when its power is not respected. What does that say about the nature of God? God's nature destroys sin and at the same time offers life. God is holy and loving. God is demanding and forgiving when we fall short. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul tells us this. The law points out how much we need grace and that only a Savior will do. 
because we can never live up to God's high standards. It says it in Romans 3.20, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. When we look at those standards of the law, we become aware of just how short we fall of the glory of God. Not one of us can meet the standards of the law, but God meets the law, does both like fire by Jesus coming in grace. And that is really, really good news for us when we see how high the standard is to live as God's people and know that we are going to fall short. The Pharisees of Jesus' time, they thought they could win God's love. They could be right with God by following every rule right down to the letter of the law, and they worked real hard at it, but they missed how the law was to move them toward a right relationship with God of love and compassion for one another. And all that rule following, what it did was make them feel superior to others and judgmental of others, not the heart that God calls his people to have. And we could try ridiculously hard, too, to follow all of God's laws and end up falling short one way or the other. So what are we supposed to do that we can be sure, that we can know, that we can be right with God? What's the answer? Well, can't we just loosen things up a little bit? throw out some of the standards. Moses says in verse 2, though, do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God. There's no easing up on that. I thought, well, maybe if God had just, you know, instead of Ten Commandments, maybe six, maybe five, if God would just eliminate maybe the three hardest ones, okay? But no, no, no. Now, God doesn't compromise on the law. God knew a better way. And you know this declaration of the gospel, the better way that's in John 3, 16 and 17? Here's God's answer. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, the law isn't compromised. The law is fulfilled on our behalf, and that's in grace. Just as God gave us the law, God gave us the Son to fulfill the law since we couldn't live up to it ourselves. Matthew 5.17, Jesus says it this way, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus came to be the righteousness that we just cannot obtain for ourselves, despite our very, very best efforts. So we are covered. We're covered on this. We're covered by Christ's righteousness the law is covered, which enables us to be right with God despite our failures. And that, that's grace. The only fire that we are consumed by is God's holy fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit. We're saved by grace and law, totally fulfilled. In Christ, 
God has offered to all a new covenant, opportunity to live in relationship. Jesus offers to be Savior if we will be His people. That's how the covenant works. And just as we accept Jesus as Savior, He gives us a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, when the church was born, there was another image of fire present. It was like flame, tongues of fire above the heads of the disciples when the Holy Spirit appeared. We too have the fire of the presence of God within us as we follow Jesus. Just as fire can refine, fire refines metal, the Holy Spirit within us has the power to transform and refine us, to bring us more into that perfect image that Jesus showed us. You may have heard the wonderful Old Testament story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were three young Hebrew men who were taken captive to a foreign land in, in Babylon. And this is many, many years after the time of Moses that we're reading about here now. But these three men followed God, and they were taken to a land where the king built a huge image of gold, and he said, everybody is going to bow down to this image of gold that I have made. When you hear the music play, you are to bow down and worship this image of God. Anybody, anybody who does not comply is going to be burned to death. They're going to be thrown into a blazing furnace. Well, what were these three young men in a foreign land going to do? They knew the commandment. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or above the earth beneath or beneath the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And they knew that the Lord their God was a consuming fire, a jealous God. So they refused to worship this statue. Well, the king was absolutely furious with them, gave them another chance. They would not do it. Well, the king was so mad, he said, heat up that furnace seven times as hot as it usually is when we're executing someone. And they did that. And he ordered the soldiers to throw these three young men into the fire. And the fire was so hot, it killed some of the soldiers as they approached it to throw them in. The king was so astonished when he looked into the furnace and he could see four figures in the fire, unharmed, moving about. God had sent his angel to save, to deliver these three young men. The fiery furnace that was a symbol of death had become a symbol of life and a symbol of God's power to save from the most impossible situations. We think that God cannot save us God has the power to save, as has been illustrated throughout the history of God and God's people so many times. Well, today in communion, look upon another symbol of salvation, the cross. We have a little one there. We have a big one. Look upon the cross. The cross, that was a symbol of death 
in Jesus' day. That was a symbol where somebody would experience the most excruciating, awful death. The cross is now a reminder of God's grace and the law not compromised but fulfilled all through the one true God as revealed in the Old and the New Testaments together. Perhaps when you see the sign of the cross, I want to invite you to use that as a reminder of God's law and God's grace. Maybe, maybe the vertical part of the cross reminds you of God's law pointing to God and the reverence that we are to have in his presence. And the cross member, maybe you picture Jesus on the cross, the grace of Jesus with outstretched arms saying to you, hey, I'm doing this for you, not because you deserve it or you earned it, but because I love you and I want to be in relationship with you now and forevermore. During communion, be reminded that Christ fulfilled the law. In relationship with Christ, we are right with God because we cannot do that on our own. So our part, what is it for us to do but to receive with open hands, open heart, to receive that gift that we don't deserve, that gift of grace, that gift of salvation, that gift of Jesus to be Lord of our lives. As we spend time in Holy Communion, Will you welcome God's presence? Just invite, come, Holy Spirit, fire, come, be in me. Will you pray, Lord, refine me. Remove my impurities through the fire of your Holy Spirit. And then do whatever you need to do in your heart to, to be open to that presence and not quench the fire of that Holy Spirit within. Will you say that with me now? Lord, refine me. Remove my impurities through the fire of your Holy Spirit. Well, let's pray. Lord, we get off balance so easily. And some of us love your law, have trouble offering grace. Forgive us. We are sorry for that. And some of us love your grace and seek to discard your holy, wonderful law. Forgive us for cheapening your standards of righteousness. Help us, O oh Lord, to be both purified through your Holy Spirit of fire and warmed by the grace of your Holy Spirit fire in our lives. May your presence burn brightly within us, Lord Jesus. Amen.